Welcome to another episode of Code of Conversation. Today we have Dagna Vieta here, career coach, and uh, she's going to walk us through her software journey to her present coaching gig. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dagna? First of all, thanks for having me, Kevin. Super pumped to be here. And <laughs> I'm glad how you started because, yes, I've been a software engineer and I've transitioned to being a career coach. So I like to say that I'm the I've been in your shoes kind of coach mm -hmm. um, that shares tough love with my clients. And, you know, my clients have various backgrounds. They are working from anywhere from small companies to fan companies in terms of experience, anywhere from two to 20 years of experience and education ranging from like being a self-taught um, developer or grab or traditional college grad or someone with a PhD. So uh, what I do with my clients is really help them reach for their potential. So thanks for having me on your show, Kevin. Oh, yeah, definitely glad to have you. I know you have a lot of experience to help, you know, other devs and you have a very interesting story. So can you tell us how you got started in software? Yeah, absolutely. So I studied control engineering and robotics, and I even have like little robots on my shirt today for this interview <laughs> because I'm talking about my own journey. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I was just really, really thinking about what it is that I want to do in the future. And something that came to my mind was, I want to create the future, whatever that means, right, for, for a mm -hmm. teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and so the most futuristic thing that I could find to do was actually building robots. So um, I started studying robotics. And the funniest thing ever is when I was studying back in Poland, uh, you have like very set curriculum. You have all these classes that have to take and you don't really have that many options right mm -hmm. um or that many electives and so i had to have programming classes and i absolutely hated coding back when i was studying but i learned to love it in my very first programming job i learned to love it uh, because i started working with people who had way more experience than i did and they really taught me what it was about so in college, there's this kind of mindset of having a tough, maybe like scientific problem that you have to solve mm. using algorithms. And, you know, you have to create this program that solves a complex problem. And nobody cares if your code is maintainable because after the semester ends, they're just going to throw it away, right? Nobody's going to ever mm. see that code ever again. And then whenever you move into programming in the industry, you start realizing that what's important is actually creating maintainable code, right? Something mm -hmm. that other people can come into, take over, and you may no longer be there in like three or four years. So it's really key to like have this different kind of mindset. And that really showed me how shifting mindset is key for being successful, right? And whether that's mm -hmm. falling in love with something or just changing how you do things or, um, you know, figuring out how to uh, be more efficient or effective. It's really a lot about perspective a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah. So can you tell us about uh, some of the companies that you worked at and some of the things that uh, you enjoy doing there? Yeah. So in terms of the companies that I worked for, uh, I started in a corporate environment, right? And it was a really great place to get started with because of that access that I mentioned a moment ago where I 
was working with uh, other people who had way more experience than I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I compared myself being on a team with the senior engineers to like all junior teams, I've grown in a matter of man months really quickly. And, you know, the people who are all in all junior teams kind of figuring things out, kind of blind leading blind in a way, if you will. Uh -huh. um, and I had, you know, the opportunity to learn and grow very quickly. However, mm. I noticed that a lot of people who had a lot of experience and have stayed in their corporate jobs, you know, it's so comfortable at a certain point it works to your detriment, I feel like, is, you know, you kind of get lazy. You, you know what is ex expected of you, how to deliver, how to be good and what it is that I do, what, what you do in your job. And um, what I wanted early in my career was this rapid growth. So I moved on mm. and I started working later on for um, an agency. Before that, I actually worked for a robotics company that was building robots, but that turned out oh, wow. to be like a very slow process. And you know, building a mobile app, deploying it to the app store and having it at the fingertips of millions of people felt so much more impactful. So I made that shift from robotics to, um, to being a software engineer. And in terms of other companies that I worked for as well was um, uh, the corporate environment, the, um, the agency consulting company that multiple different clients so I had a lot of opportunities for growth there as well because I got to work with multiple different clients multiple different mm -hmm. tech stacks um, it showed me that sometimes you might be working on an incredibly interesting project with a super boring tech stack and it still might be fun right so like how mm -hmm. to look for what motivates you in terms of what you want to do out of a job and then the last company that I worked for was um, a startup that grew that was a very successful startup at the time that I worked there it went from I think 50 people when I started to like 300 something people when I um, when I decided to pursue career coaching full-time mm -hmm. and right now that that's what I do I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I coach software engineers who have been going through that similar journey that I've been going going through. Do you find it? Oh, go ahead. Do you find that um, your like your co your approach to coaching software engineers is it always? Uh, are there a set? Um, uh, I guess there's there a model for coaching software engineers, or is it a different approach with with each individual? Great question, Yannick. So I do have a specific program that I take my clients through, and I've worked with over 50 people at this point because I've been coaching for over three plus years right now. And so essentially, um, a lot of the program that I was able to develop as I was working with my clients is also based on the issues that I faced in my career, right? So when I was uh, growing in my career as an engineer, I went from junior to senior relatively quickly, like two years and something, right? It was all because dumb luck in a way, because I had access to all these incredible mentors who were willing to share the knowledge with me. And I was really hungry for feedback. So I always would ask, hey, what else do I need to know? Hey, do you think that I did good? Hey, what is it that I'm missing to get to that next level, to get to that next step? And they were gracious enough and, you know, 
they had the awareness or the knowledge that they wanted to share with me and gave me that feedback that helped me grow. And I realized that a lot of people don't really have that kind of experience, right? Um, you may not be in an environment that is supportive in giving you the feedback that you may need, but might be tough to deliver. Um, or you may not be aware that you need to ask because, you know, a lot of my clients also um, are immigrants, either grew up in immigrant families or immigrate to the United States. And the culture that you grew up in affects how you think. And so mm -hmm. that has a big impact on, you know, how do you um, expect to grow in your career? Uh, how do you expect to be guided? And, you know, for... <clears throat> For a lot of my clients, what I like to do is that I move from programming to computers to reprogramming human minds. Because what I do with my clients is really dive deep to their own belief systems into uh, what might be stopping them, into like, why is it that they act the way they do? And then we kind of debug that and reprogram mindset for success. So in terms of like a specific process, yes, I do have a specific process. And it starts with the looking into that internal baggage that you bring to your career and figuring out what is it in your past experiences that may be holding you back at this point in time, right? Sure. Um, so yeah, can you, I know like most of it's reserved for your culture, but can you tell us like a couple of the things that, a couple of mistakes that developers make um, during their career that, you know, can really uh, fast track them if they fix it? Yeah. So the first thing is understanding priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever you start working for a business, the business essentially made an investment in you as a software engineer, as a developer, in order to achieve a business objective. It might be bringing more money in, retaining clients, keeping the clients happy, um, you know, or, or allowing the company to not spend as much money, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really key to having a perspective of whatever I'm doing as an engineer, as a software developer, as a you know, person who interacts with code every single day, is to make sure that I am keeping those company objectives in the back of my mind. So the company made a good investment, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember a clear example from my own career. There were these two tasks that I was working on. One of them was super intellectually stimulating and it was so much fun for me to work on. Uh, it was essentially kind of rewriting a piece of um, our app, how it was being built, right? So the build time at that point in time was taking five minutes and something, which is not terribly horrible, but I mean, it's super boring if you make one liner change and then you have to wait five minutes for the application to rebuild, right? So I refactored that, the build time ended up going down to like 20 something seconds. I was mm. so proud of myself, right? <laughs> it was a huge achievement in my mind. And guess what? Nobody cared. <laughs> mm. yeah. And then the next week, what happened is I got a task where I needed to essentially follow kind of like a step-by-step -step process, kind of copy pasting, setting something up for like one of the clients, one of the bigger clients, it turns out that brought massive revenue into the company. So even mm -hmm. though the second task were super boring and I 
really wasn't motivated at all. Everybody from the client rep to the sales rep to, to my manager, their manager, you know, was saying, hey, Dagna, that was an amazing job because you made a client happy, right? And it's mm -hmm. an important client and it's really key. So that helped me understand, okay, if I want to be successful, if I want to grow in my career, that sometimes means doing things that are boring and are not fun or intellectually stimulating, which I feel like a lot of engineers tend to like go into that rabbit hole trying to figure a problem, right? Why? Mm -hmm. Because we get that dopamine hit, right? You solve a problem and it feels like, yes, <laughs> I want to solve another problem. Let's do that, right? But if you're like mm -hmm. copy pasting things and just setting things up, but configuration is like, boring and i think most of developers get into coding because it's it feels like an artistic pursuit right you get to be creative you get to solve problems you get to impact people and that's fun so we tend to prioritize what's fun and what's fun is not always good for what's good in the terms of growing your career right so prioritization is like a biggest one of the biggest things the second thing is, in terms of growth, a lot of growth happens on the inside, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be following, following leadership principles that Amazon recently released and, you know, follow them to a T and not realize that there's something in your mindset, in your way of thinking, that's going to contradict those principles, right? And until you get that critical piece of feedback, you might be stuck. You know, for myself, moving from Poland to United States was a really interesting experience. And mm. that taught me a lot of things. And that also kept me stuck in my in my senior software engineer position for a few years. Because as an immigrant growing up in Poland, you know, my communication style is very much different from the American communication style. Mm. So I would get feedback telling me that, now, you know, you, you some, sometimes you sound a little bit too direct. Maybe you're too harsh. Maybe you're too blunt. You know, you got to kind of think about it. And I didn't really realize that that was kind of like an obstacle until... Um, until a specific situation in my company in that uh, successful startup that I mentioned that grew significantly. What happened was, unfortunately, at a one point in time, they had to lay off some people. And we had this meeting, kind of like all hands on deck, company-wide meeting, addressing the situation, explaining why people had to be let go. And you know they did a, a great job. But I thought that maybe they haven't really thought through how letting a lot of engineers go would impact my everyday job. So I kind of stood up, speaked up. And, you know, the next day, my boss, the boss comes to me and he's like, Dagna, why did you call our leadership team a bunch of idiots in a company-wide <laughs> meeting? And I'm like, I, I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. Well, that's how it came across. Right. Mm. So I realized that a lot of the time for engineers who are having good intentions in their hearts, because we don't have communication skills, we're not taught to communicate assertively. We may come across as harsh, as just total assholes, for the lack of a better word mm. here. Right. And that's something that happened to me. And if it wasn't for that piece of critical feedback, I would still probably not be aware of that. <laughs> 
So yeah, how, how do you uh, avoid like taking the feedback personally? I know like, uh, you know, sometimes when we receive feedback, we take it personally, but that's the only way to grow. No, it's not. I mean, a lot of the growth has to happen on the inside and a lot of things might sound kind of offensive or like mm. might be attacking our ego. And, you know, a lot of it is growth, internal growth, letting things go and, you know, understanding that it might sting in the moment, but assuming yeah. that the person had the best intent right or creating a safe space for yourself which is essentially requesting that feedback right so if you mm -hmm. set the stage you tell the person hey i really care about your feedback how am i doing on the communications front right you are opening yourself up for receiving that feedback instead of feeling like you're maybe attacked you know in a moment and a lot of the time you'll notice um that's always why I call myself a tough love coach is that I tell my clients things that their manager would likely not tell them right mm. in a company mm. setting because it might exactly sound a little bit too harsh too offensive and they don't want to offend people right um, they want to create a, a good work environment where everybody feels valued and can contribute and so sometimes giving feedback that would enable you to grow goes against that exactly so yeah so uh you came from poland correct to america and you talked about there's a lot of cultural differences like what were some of the strategies you used to adapt to america and, uh, so it was a lot solid. of pilot it was a lot of trial and error at the very beginning and with time i discovered certain tools so like right now there's this specific tool called hofstede model and essentially um um you know it has a tool that has a, a specific comparison where you can plug and play different countries. So you don't have to be an immigrant in the United States. You can be an American working in France, for example. And in order for you to understand a little bit better how those cultures differ, you can plug in these two countries and see how they are compared on six different dimensions, right? So that's mm -hmm. one of the specific tools that I use with my clients. And the second one is um, having that experience of myself going through this journey and then helping many other clients go through that, you know, as a coach, I'm able to provide that feedback and tell them, hey, you're doing great. But for example, my recent client, um, you know, felt like he was doing everything that needed to be done, that was expected of him, but he was never too proactive, right? Mm -hmm. He was expected to be told what to do. And in an American workplace that is highly individualistic, as you can see in the model, it essentially is required for you. It's assumed that you're going to be proactive if you want to be successful, right? So for someone like myself or a lot of my clients coming from um, Asian cultures, for example, it's more of a collectivistic culture where, um, and I had that example myself as well, where I propose an idea at work and everybody agreed that we should do it. So what I thought was gonna happen was that we all who agreed are going to work together on that initiative. Mm -hmm. Now in my American workplace, it was assumed Dagna proposed the idea and Dagna now should be the leader for this idea and you know be the proactive person who's responsible for this idea to actually be implemented. And you know that was like some disconnect there 
I didn't take action because I thought we will all take action. And then nobody else took action because they thought I will take action. So, you know, there are those little miscommunications here and there if you are growing up in a different cultural mindset. And that's something that we analyze as we work together. Yeah, so I'm half Asian, so I definitely understand where you're coming from with the collectivism and uh, kind of right. waiting to be told what to do. And, uh, exactly. you know, in the American workplace, you can't really just sit around and wait for your boss, you know, to tell you because they think you're lazy or incompetent. So you have to, you know, go out and kind of set the agenda. Like, how do you coach, um, coach somebody who's used to being reactive to be more proactive? First, we realize where the reactivity comes from, right? So early in the coaching, as we go through the process, essentially we tackle the limiting beliefs that you may have. There are six specific ones that I discuss with my clients and we analyze them one by one, which one might be related to your specific situation. So for a lot of people have this um, limiting belief that's related to fear of becoming visible, right? And it might be due to uh, growing up in a cultural setting where it's just better not to stand out of your line, just kind of like stand in line with everybody else. But it could be an event of um, how you grew up in, in your household, right? Like, let's say if you're the only male and you grew up with seven sisters, it might be intimidating to, you know, stand up and, and speak up for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so we dive deeper, where is this coming from and how we can shift that perspective. So we again go back to like analyzing what's your internal mental programming, how it was created. And, you know, if we had Git with our thoughts, we would just run Git blame to see like what situation really contributed to that particular line of code being there. And then we refactor, right? And debug and try to shift the perspective, see things from a different perspective, have a different approach. A lot of the time, you know, I like to say that human beings in general work on an autopilot, right? We grew up with certain systems and beliefs and we just, most of the things that we do and we act the way we do because of how we think so if we can change how we think, we can change how we act and change the results that we see around us. And actually having that understanding of how the autopilot is running allows to make that change, right? But the first thing that needs to happen is to become aware. Like with my example of, you know, supposedly uh, calling the leadership team a bunch of idiots. I did not say that, but that's how, I, how it came across. And I would not ever have been aware of that situation if someone didn't give me that feedback. So awareness is the first step. The moment you know something's a problem, something's an obstacle, something's holding you back, you can take the steps to change it, right? And I think something that really differentiates my coaching and my approach from anything that's out there is that we really go deep, right? There's this belief, um, th this kind of belief that for a person to change, you know, you need a lot of time, which is not true. All you need in order to change how you act and therefore, well, change how you think and therefore change how you act and have different kinds of results in your life is by having one aha moment, right? So in the coaching that I have in the process as we go through, 
we really are working towards getting as many aha moments as possible so we can rewire your thinking, reprogram, debug, make sure it's optimized for whatever it is that you're trying to achieve in your career and in your life. Because, I mean, career is a huge part of life. Exactly. How different it is, how different is it to, to coach someone who is seasoned, like a senior dev, as opposed to a junior dev that doesn't have a lot of bad habits already? <laughs> it depends. Everybody has some habits and some baggage, so it really depends, right? But in terms of what I work with, with more junior and more senior clients, with more junior clients, it's typically imposter syndrome, right? Figuring out how to gather the courage in order to speak up, in order to ask questions, in order to ask for feedback. So that's typically the topics that we're focusing on within the process and within the framework that I provide. With more senior developers, it's really understanding the perspective of what it is that they're trying to do, right? Because for a lot of senior engineers, um, they hit that plateau and nobody is telling them what is it that they're wrong. And a lot of the time it's the people skills, the communication skills, the business acumen. So understanding that they're a piece of the business machine and they're there to support the business rather than just doing some fun software related things. And um, sometimes it's tackling burn, right? Because I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting looking at the developer's journey. Whenever you're growing, how does the growth look like at the very beginning? Well, what you do is you learn how to code, right? So you kind of put technology on that pedestal. And then you maybe learn C, C++, Java, then Python, then JavaScript, React, and Ruby, because you want to know all these languages, right? So you're getting more and more technical. But what happens is we tend to forget, and it's not really part of our education. We kind of learn this haphazardly just working our careers, that we create software with other people and for other people, right? So people skills and being able to effectively collaborate, to communicate, to set boundaries, set expectations, and make sure that you know you have the right mindset are really critical here. So these are the things that I address mostly with my more senior clients. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people in the, the coding world, they're, they're kind of introverts. So like if somebody's kind of nervous, uh, how, how do you help them like work on their social skills, like the soft skills? I recently had this client and uh, I loved the results that he was able to get as we were working together. He told me that he experienced 80% of reduction in his anxiety in social situations. And that included mm -hmm. just talking to people. And we were working on it um, in terms of the work environment context, but he could see that um, the effects propagating in his social circles, like at church or just, you know, it became much easier making friends for him. And one thing that he told me, which was really incredible to hear, and that is really that mindset shift that happened, that internal mental reprogramming that we did together, was he told me, Dagna, I think I was pushing them away before. Now I allow people 
to open up and talk about themselves and I'm friendly and I want to be with them and they can feel that energy. So now, you know, they open up, they stay in those conversations. And previously he was telling me they would just kind of, people would walk away awkwardly and like, it was really difficult for him to make those social connections, right? So if someone is listening to this podcast, to this live stream at this point in time, and they're feeling that social anxiety, the question is, where's it coming from? And a lot of the time, it comes from what we believe about ourselves, right? So for example, you're afraid to speak up because what will people think? Will they see me as a idiot because this dumb question? Maybe it's better not to ask that question, right? The way we evolved as human beings, human beings, is to essentially be um, able to survive. And survival means avoiding dangerous situations. So, if our mind perceives speaking up, stepping up, uh, reaching out to the question as a dangerous situation, our subconscious is going to do everything that it can to talk us out of taking action. So either we're going to overthink it or totally procrastinate on that task, right? And I see that with, for example, our more junior folks who do experience um, anxiety that's related to the imposter syndrome, which is essentially, you know, procrastinating on asking someone for help and trying to figure out everything themselves. So that's like one classic example. And it really comes from that perception of the situation being dangerous, right? And that's something that uh, we dive deeper in the coaching. Sure. Can you uh, tell us about like some of the, the best results that you've gotten for clients? Like say this guy went from 75,000 to 150,000 a year later, or, you know. Yeah, so I've had a client who, <clears throat> excuse me, as a result of working together, went from underappreciated uh, senior engineer to a startup CTO, which for him was at the point that we started working together was something out of reach. And you know, within mm. literally three and a half months, he was able to get into that position for him, dream come true. I had another client who um, was a senior engineer at his company, much smaller company. And he was able to, within three months of us working together, get a skip level promotion and he became because of the company growing at the time and him being smart about um, his uh, connections and leveraging and being clear what it is that he wanted from his career. He went from a senior engineer to a VP of engineering and innovation at his company. I had another client who had a military background who shifted into tech and he had this belief that he had to kind of work step by step and you know very slowly work the ladder up the moment that we open his up his mind up for the possibilities and that he can really go after the opportunities that are out there instead of you know working his way up slowly he was able to double his salary so he went from um i think 110 to like 220 plus a bonus uh, signing package right within the time that we work together and now he's on his way to become a team lead which is super yeah. awesome because that's something that he really cared about at that point in time uh the client that i mentioned that experienced a reduction in anxiety by 80 percent his own words not mine you know that's these are some examples and the results really depend on whenever someone comes to me to work with me what do they want right mm -hmm. and we are 
using the process and diving deep into using the process towards their specific goals that they want to achieve as we work together. Sure. What if, what if, what if someone comes to you and they don't quite know what or where they want to go in the industry? Probably. Yeah. Getting clear is also something that I work on with my clients. Right. And for some people that's realizing that they didn't really that fine job they only wanted it because of social pressure right <laughs> and they are really um feeling fulfilled whenever they're working for a startup so that's also something that i work um that i work on with my clients getting clear what it is that you want to do and what brings you fulfillment and you know a lot of co career coaches focus on either landing your next job or increasing your salary what I focus on is really increasing the fulfillment that you have out of your job. And that way you get more motivation, you get more energy, you get more creative, you see more opportunities opening up for you. And the moment you have that energy and that foundation and that understanding, you know, our coaching builds like a foundation for the future success in your life, really. It's not just that next job. It's not just increasing your salary. It's figuring out how that's changed, affecting literally the rest of your life and the quality of your life. Yeah, that's good. Um, so any clients that have moved from, um, from, from, from engineering into something else that's, that doesn't require coding or maybe a lot of coding, I guess a team lead would be that, but like product or uh, scrum master or something like that. Yeah, so typically it's uh, moving up being like a team lead or being a staff engineer, for example, right? So um, in terms of moving completely away, um, I haven't had that many experiences. Would the approach be the same if, if someone wanted to maybe transition out of engineering and, 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 and Go into Absolutely, because the principles are essentially the same. So actually, I do have some clients who did move away, but not into a different role, but they moved away in order to build their own company, right? And so some of the skills that we work on, the people skills, communication, uh, being really clear, also planning, which I didn't mention before, but planning is also something that we use on. Um, you know, these skills, also help with the entrepreneurial journey, right? So these have been some examples. So uh, what, what does a, a coaching session with you typically look like? Like how does somebody reach out to you? And then once they reach out to you, where does it go from there? So typically the way that working with me looks like is um, we go to get on the call, it's a strategy call. And um, we have a conversation on what is it that you're dealing with right now? What are the biggest obstacles? What is it that you're trying to get with, right? I wanna make sure that I work with people who I can help and who are also committed to making that change and putting the work in, right? I've had early on some clients who had purchased my coaching and but um, okay, I paid, so now I should see results, right? And it's like, it's like with the gym membership. If you just have the gym membership, nothing's gonna happen. You gotta show up, you gotta do the work, right? Mm. And so whenever we have that initial strategy call, I wanna make sure that we're a good fit. And if we're a good fit, I invite people to enroll in my 
asking program. At this point in time, it takes my clients anywhere from two to four months to complete. It's six specific steps that we take together. We have six one-on-one uh, -on -one calls and there's a little bit of pre-recorded content. So that's kind of like a hybrid approach, but it gives you the best of both worlds, right? On one hand, you get to go through the content that is like literally 15 minute to 20 minute uh, videos. With, that give you also a little bit of homework and a reflection to do. So that way, whenever we dive into a feedback session, the one-on-one -on -one session, it's really deep on point and gives you a lot of insight into what is it that is very likely holding you back. We have six of those sessions. In those sessions, we focus on exactly what it is that you want to focus on with that topic in mind that was part of the um, content modules. But because I want to make sure that my clients get the best out of the coaching, we really dive into what it is uniquely and specifically um, able to help them, right? The kind of feedback. And then after the six sessions, a lot of my clients, you know, either continue and just keep working on the skills and the habits we've been working on over our coaching meetings, or they choose to extend the coaching packages and work with me long-term, right? So it's either or. I'm always happy to support my clients for longer time, longer period of time. And for example, the one uh, that did double his salary and is on his way to being a team lead, we have, um, we, we've had a boxer support, which is kind of like a walkie-talkie app where we talk on a daily basis, Monday through Friday as well as quarterly meetings where we would make sure we plan the next quarter and it's really clear for him what are the objectives to achieve, right? Having clarity on what is it that you need in order to get to that next level is just gold because you can mm. be pulled and distracted in like multiple different directions. But the moment you are clear on what you want, why you want it, why is it important, and you have that energy and motivation stemming from either the job aligning with your values or something that you really care about and that really drives you, um, you know, that's when you're able to really execute effectively, right? Mm -hmm. Here's another thing that I feel like is unique about the coaching services I provide. The moment we get into that internal mental programming, we're really able to see where the inaction is coming from, the overwhelm, the procrastination. Because at the end of the day, if you want to see any kind of results in any domain of your life, you got to take action, right? You want to lose weight, got to hit the gym and maybe get a diet, right? That requires action. Just thinking about it, right? thinking about starting tomorrow is not going to change a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just to make uh, your coaching a little more tangible, say, for example, you know, a lot of junior developers are having a really tough time getting into the industry. So, like, what are a couple of things that you would tell them to help them improve their chances of getting that first job? So, I typically work with people who've had a few experience, but okay. I would say that the most important thing whenever you're starting your career regardless of your background, regardless of the domain, regardless of anything, is having that belief that you can figure this out. Because I remember when I started coding, and the reason why I hated coding in college is because it was so 
big and complicated and daunting. There's a very steep learning curve. And there were nights when I cried myself to a pillow and I thought I was the dumbest person in the world because mm -hmm. my code wouldn't compile, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so having that belief that you can figure it out and you're just learning, so you're going to accept that it's tough, but you're going to get there, that is the key mindset piece to being successful in the software engineering industry. And not just yeah, software. Sure. I mean, not just software. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. so important that we miss it all the time. Um, I do have a question um, about your your history. I was going yeah, through your, go uh, I was looking at all the things you've done in the past and they're all engineering related. Now I know experience is probably the greatest teacher we have but have you done anything else to kind of um, educate yourself and teach yourself about people and, and our behaviors and how to deal with people and help people in, in this way? Maybe some books? Yeah, absolutely. Yannick, I love that question. So essentially, big part of uh, what I'm using in my coaching is actually something that I've learned in therapy. So I'm a mom. And when I was pregnant with my second child, what happened was I experienced postpartum depression. And I was really, you know, a lot of things kind of like um, added up. It wasn't just the postpartum depression, but that was the moment when I finally thought, okay, you know what? I am a professional to help me out with this. And so I went out, seek help, had a therapist. She was phenomenal. So what I had, because I, I was pregnant at the time, I only did like talk therapy, but it helped me so much. It's just incredible because she named my issues. Looking from, you know, that outsider perspective, she told me, Dagna, definitely you got to work on your communication skills. You got to, you know, you have this super complex and you're just trying to do too much. And, you know, being, um, being an immigrant, well, she didn't say it in those particular words, but you know, there are those cultural differences that are really key in how you communicate. And that's something that you need to work on. Plus we dove into my childhood, my relationship with my parents, how I grew up with my, you know, siblings. And that was incredible. You know, the moment I wrapped up my therapy and, you know, the moment, actually, let, let me rewind the moment my therapist was able to name my problems, I would educate myself. I would get books. I would start reading. I would reflect on it. I would always come back to my therapist, to the therapy sessions with like a list of things that I wanted to discuss and like a list of a house that I got because I researched the topic, right? So I was totally open. I wanted to make sure that she would help me get past my, uh, this horrible situation I was in. And I was very motivated to give her all the information I could in order for her to help me pull myself out of that situation. And, and, it, and it did help tremendously. So the moment I uh, got out of my therapy sessions, they helped me tremendously. But I realized the value of what naming your issues and having that awareness and having unbiased third-party perspective that has experience working with similar people, similar problems, similar backgrounds is just tremendous. So I thought that, you know, everyone should go to therapy, regardless if they're a parent or not, because it was so valuable and so helpful. And, you know, 
it, it was just life changing. I'm using a lot what I learned there in my coaching. I'm using what I learned in my own senior software engineer journey and the moment that I was stuck, right, with my communication, with my immigrant background, not understanding what are the priorities in the American workplace that could help me successful when I was working, you know, for a different set of priorities that came from my uh, cultural background, how I was raised and what I thought was important instead of my workplace prioritized and thought was important. And, you know, that challenged me in many ways. So I had to grow personally. And that personal growth is, has informed the process that I use today, right? So in a lot of ways, I walked my talk, right? And I use the things that, first of all, worked for me and now are also working for my clients with the results that I mentioned a moment ago. So it is a powerful process and it goes back to, you know, to the awareness of your thoughts, of how you think, what is it that you believe, because all you do stems from that, from that internal mental programming. So that's part of, you know, what uh, informs how I coach, what really impacted how I coach. The second thing is I heavily invested in my education as a coach, and I did probably most of the courses that are available out there on how to be a successful coach, right? I also have a business coach that I work with that helps coach me with my business, helps me understand uh, what are the things that I need to focus on, what are the distractions, and you know, having that clarity really helps me execute. And I've invested over $100,000 in my education in order to become a successful coach. And I can see fruits of that in my clients' results, you know, getting amazing results and me just, feeling super fulfilled and happy just hearing about their progress. I mean, there's something really cool about creating a feature or solving a bug, but it's like very temporary. The fulfillment that I get from helping other people find their fulfillment in life is just incredible. <laughs> so that's a huge motivation for me to just keep on going and keep teaching. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling. Really helping people is like my my number one thing, my number one passion for sure. Um, I want to ask a question. So obviously you're a woman, right? And uh, recent times, I've not been in the technology industry uh, long enough to know about when you started, but I know recently there's been you know a lot of uh, a lot of effort behind getting more women into tech. And, and I'm, I'm honestly speaking, some of the best engineers I know are, are actually female. So um, do you find it like uniquely, I don't know, satisfying when you help a, a woman um, as opposed to like, I mean, I guess the approach is the same. There's a lot of commonality regarding the approach to, to whether it's a, a man or a woman. But I mean, what are some unique uh, things about working with women and, and, and I don't know about your your own your own history coming up as a woman in the technology. So I would say that um, I actually mostly work with male clients. I think it's just representative of tech industry in general. And I also find that whenever I'm having conversations with men or women in that uh, strategy call that I mentioned earlier, that's kind of like, you know, assessing whether or not people want to work with me. For a lot of women, that they are 
not willing to invest themselves at the rate that their male con counterparts are, right? And that's part of, you know, we're raised, you know, that superwoman complex. I feel like so many ambitious women in tech and even outside of tech face that problem where we're trying to do it all by ourselves, right? Because that's how we are raised, that we're supposed to do it all, right? We're supposed to now have a great career, be fantastic mothers, great wives, fabulous friends, daughters, and sisters. And it's just a lot of pressure that is, you know, even more exaggerated by the internal self that we have right so in terms of the clients that i work with typically they fail and typically they're uh, of um like i said immigrant background right so either they're immigrant themselves or they grew up in immigrant families and i think for a lot of people you know the reason that come to me and want to work with me, it's either because of having that similar path, um, understanding what it means to be a minority in tech. And, you know, being an immigrant, a lot of the time does mean that you're a minority, whether you're male or female. And um, I guess my energy attracts them, right? But I wish for all the ladies listening out there to this particular podcast, give yourself permission to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And whether that's working with me or somebody else, you're worth it, girl. I mean, come on. Guys don't seem to have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely agree um, that a lot of people, especially in the programming industry, they have that I can do it myself attitude. I'm a self learner. I don't need coaching. I don't need a mentor. I could just go look it up myself. But the reality is you're going to save so much time, so much money if you get the proper coaching, the proper instructional materials. So can, can you kind of like elaborate on that? Like what are the big benefits of uh, just getting coaching? So the reason why I got coaching for myself and, um, you know, a lot of people get coaching, whatever kind of coaching it, it is. It's essentially that it's a shortcut in a way. It's a ramp. It's something that accelerates you to get from point A to point B, right? And instead of you figuring it out, having like this crazy route that you don't know is going to actually lead you there, the moment you work with someone who's been there, who helped other people get from point A to B, it becomes more of a straight line. A lot of the time it's not like super straight, but working with a coach makes it way more easier to have that clarity and be able to execute on exactly what it is that you need to work on, right? For myself specifically, I had seen how much difference having someone who would tell me, this is what you need to work on. This is your weak spots. This is, you know, something that you need to know in order to advance to that next level. That's, you know, what accelerated me. And I went from junior to senior software engineer in like two years and a few months, right? And I wanted exact same thing when I made the decision, okay, I'm moving from software engineering to being a career coach for software engineers. I want to learn from people who know exactly what it means to be a successful coach, who know exactly how to best help my clients. <clears throat> And so working with a coach, what it does is it helps you get into that mindset, that proper mindset of what it means to be successful and where you want to be, how to think like that. 
and how to become that person, how to make sure you're not wasting your precious mental energy on worrying about something that's totally not relevant, or putting your time even into things that aren't relevant, right? So mm -hmm. it really helps with making sure you're laser focused, you're doing what needs to be done, and you're getting to that next level for yourself and as, as soon as possible. And I mean, put it this way, at this point in time, I've had over 10 years of experience just coding, right? I've had over three years of experience of programming. And the moment someone works with me, they get all that experience of mine, plus all the clients I've worked with across domains, across cultures, across, you know, um, different backgrounds and different um mindsets and they get all that on a silver platter i mean mm -hmm. uh, you know that really helps to accelerate yeah so i do have a question about um scaling i know you said we earlier you, did you have a team that you work with so at this point in time like i mentioned i have my business coach that helps me set my business goals and objectives. I have my lawyer and I have like a occasional help here and there, but at this point in time, it's mostly me. So if someone, for example, signs up to work with my coaching program, they get hundred percent of me. There's no other program coaches, no other people involved at this point in time. And um, we work, just work together one-on-one. Yeah. Do you ever put content out there? Uh, have you ever thought about writing any any books or anything like that to kind yeah. of reach people? So actually, Yannick, that's going to be my effort uh, next year. That's something that I'm really preparing for, planning to do, writing a book and being able to, you know, help people just through even reading that book, right? So I definitely want to do that. The one thing... And I, I love reading books. I love, you know, the idea of being a published author and being able to touch more lives with what I have to say about my mindset and how to be successful as an engineer, right? Without all that imposter syndrome, like how to leave that behind as soon as possible. And um, the only thing that's different about books or even self-study courses and coaching in coaching, you get that feedback, right? That no book or self-study course would ever give you. And that feedback is what can really make the difference in your growth. Yeah, so you, you, you very much prefer to, to do it one-on-one. -on -one. So the reason I currently have a one-on-one -on -one program is because a lot of the times we get deep. We get um, vulnerable. And it's important to have that safe space for people to share things that they probably would not have shared in like a community setting of people that they don't necessarily know that might be working for their next employer or their past employer or have some connections in common. So having that work one-on-one -on -one at this point in time gives us that safe space to really dive deep and really untangle what is it that is holding you back, right? Um, hopefully in the future, I'm able to scale it more and have enroll more people, but also, you know, have a bigger team, impact more lives. I mean, that's the goal. But for now, 
I am sticking to the one-on-one because the effects of that are just so profound. Is, is your uh, process suited for, uh, I don't know, corporate training? What if, what if the company wants you to uh, help? That's a your- great question. So in terms of company setting, I do have a mindset training that I actually rolled out in the last uh, software engineering gig that I had, where I trained the 20 something engineers um, that went through that mindset training and it was fun to do, right? It wasn't as profound um, and something that I think is a game changer in terms of like for me working with a company would be to focus on making sure that that company has a culture that can really help accelerate growth and promote like a feedback culture, right? But at the same time, you know, on one hand, you need the company buy-in. So you need to have that kind of leadership mindset where, um, you know, the company culture is for everybody to grow. But on the other hand, you have to have the individual's buy-in, right? Because if someone is coming to a training and, they just want to, I don't know, kick off the hour or whatever or tell their manager they did this. They're not going to get value out of it, right? So, for example, sometimes people come to me and, say, and, and ask me, like, hey, can I gift your coaching to someone? And I said no, because for a client of mine to really see results, they need to put the work in. You know, I can give you my whole process, all my knowledge, all the tools that I'm using. If you're not going to put in the work, you're not going to see results. <laughs> as simple as yeah. that, right? It's the same with the therapist. Too, you know, you, the therapist helps you to get to that point where you do the work to get yourself into a better place. Exactly. You have to have that courage to face whatever it is that's deep inside you, right? And how to shift that thinking into something that can actually help you out, live a better life. Where can people go? Where can, is it just uh, the mindfuldev.com? Where can people go to, to see some of, well, necessarily see your work? They can just come directly to you. Um, but where can people go to know more about you other than LinkedIn? I absolutely love to connect on LinkedIn, and that's the primary source where I'm hanging out at right now. Um, so, you know, anyone listening, if you're curious about the coaching process, how it looks like step by step. I do have a link in my description that, you know, can take you there. And if you're anything like me, you know, it is a video um, case study where I describe the process, really lay it out and explain how it goes. But you can you can definitely play it on 2x. But I know that's something that I love to do in order to make sure that, you know, I'm effective and efficient with my time, listen on 2x. But it's really, you know, kind of showing off how the process looks like. So it's at themindfuldev.com slash podcast. And that's how you're going to, you know, get to the page that kind of walk you through the process that I use with my clients. Other than that, I also send out a newsletter email once a week. So um, entering the case study, entering your email, what it does, it adds you to that newsletter. Super easy to opt opt out if it's kind of boring. I am striving to deliver my best content. A lot of it is derived from the work that I'm doing with my current clients. So a lot of kind of like being able to see what's possible for other people and then using it as a proof for you as the newsletter reader to be able to accomplish whatever it is trying to accomplish, right? 
So newsletter is the second place. LinkedIn is my place number one and my website, themindfuldeath.com. So yeah, I know we're approaching the hour. Um, we don't want to hold you too long. Uh, we definitely appreciate you coming through. Uh, did you have any closing thoughts for the audience? Yes. So first of all, Kevin, Yannick, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast sharing all that. I loved your questions. I love that to have the opportunity to share how my journey looked like, how my process looks like. And, you know, I think that with the COVID pandemic and how it completely kind of changed how we work and how we start to question the assumptions that we have about work, about life, about work-life balance and how we do things and allowed us to be a little bit more brave with the decisions that we take in terms of where we work, how we work. Um, I think that the leaders off to more because of those changes that happened through COVID and increase in the mental health awareness, the leaders off tomorrow in tech are going to be the people who are looking inside, who are resolving their internal baggage. And whether that's working through therapy or working with someone like me, a coach, you know, if you want to go up, move up and be successful, then it's really key to look inside and figure out what is it that might be holding you back. Absolutely. We definitely appreciate you coming on. If you ever want to come back on, let us know. We'd love to have you back. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time. Peace.